everybody. I hope you're doing great. Another episode. Thank you for being here. Welcome to Pillars. I am Dylan Bowman and it is officially time to bring the hype for the upcoming Western States 100 mile endurance run happening next weekend from Olympic Valley to Auburn, California. That is right. After what seems like forever, we are finally having a championship level race with world-class competition and we can geek out all about it starting right now. Today, my guest will need no introduction. We are talking to the pride of the Eastern Sierra, the one and only Mr. Tim Tollefson. Of course, Tim lives here in Mammoth Lakes. We recorded at his house, but he grew up near the Western States 100 course, and he will be a major factor in next weekend's race. And as you'll hear, Tim is in a great place, both physically and emotionally, and we talk all about why that is. Tim is very honest. He opens up about how he has placed an emphasis on his internal life as a way to sort of confront some personal demons and the progress that he's seen as a result and how it's really helped him in both his personal and his athletic life. It's something we talk about all the time on the show and I so appreciated Tim's perspectives on the subjects. Of course, we talk all about Western States, how Tim's thinking about it, his goals and expectations, and all sorts of other sort of race-related conversation. But at the end, Tim also teases an awesome entrepreneurial project that he's been working on for a while. It's pretty exciting, and I think it's the first time he's talked about it publicly. So make sure you listen to the end so you can get the intelligence on that. Before we get to the episode, as I sometimes do, for those who enjoy the show and appreciate what we do, we would love it if you would download and subscribe to our app. It is the best way to support the show, and I'm confident that you will find value in it. We are committed to providing as much information and inspiration as you could possibly need to approach your trail and ultra marathon journey alongside a community, an amazing, vibrant, growing community of like-minded people. And I think you guys will really enjoy it. So please do consider joining. And right now we also have the new video that we made about my recent Backbone Trail FKT that is up within the app, available exclusively for subscribers. I am so stoked with how it turned out and I think you all will be too. So please do consider supporting us if you do enjoy the show. And also just as a reminder, uh, myself, Corinne Malcolm and uh, the Pillars creative guru, Ryan Thrower, we will be doing a ton of media stuff around the Western States 100 next week. So make sure you go subscribe to the Western States 100 YouTube channel so you can watch the race day live stream and also enjoy our pre-race interview show live from Olympic Valley. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be exhausting, but I can't freaking wait. Okay. On with the show. Please welcome the Sierra Samurai, Mr. Tim Tollefson. Tim Tollefson. What's up, bro? Welcome to the podcast. It's It's been a long time coming. Man, it's so good to have you here. Dude, you're like uh, the most requested guest, I think, in podcast history. And here we are at the Chalet Tollefson here in Mammoth Lakes. Yeah, it's a pretty it, sweet place. Yeah, we're happy here. Yeah. It's a, it is a special place. Yeah. 
So today, just for context, is uh, Sunday, June 13th. We are 13 days out from the Western States 100. It's going to be your uh, first running at North America's most important race. And uh, you did your last longer run yesterday out in the midday heat. Uh, generally, tell us uh, how you're feeling now with less than two weeks to go before the big big dance. I'm, I'm doing really good. Like, yeah. I, I like where I'm at. I'm, I'm in probably a better mental space than I ever have been leading into, into a race. Physically, it's there. And I look back at my training and I think I've done enough, but I also am at, at that place where I feel that I could have done more mm. and I'd rather be in that boat than feeling like, man, I'm holding on and I just need the race to start. So knowing that I could have done additional training, I think is the perfect blend. Yeah. But so are you in kind of <clears throat> full on taper mode? Was yesterday sort of the symbolic closure it to was. your training block? And it was a, a nice little smack in the face. <laughs> Tell us about <laughs> it. Was, <laughs> you know, I, I went into it thinking, okay, like, you know, I've been doing some heat training and uh, things have been going well. I'm just going to go have this big confidence boosting final moderate long run. And, uh, and it started that way, but then it unraveled very quickly and, but on, in hindsight, I think is exactly what I needed because it's that last minute reminder that if you get a little too confident, there's going to be, you know, the potential for a major uh, fall from grace. Yeah. And so, yeah. it, uh, you know, I, I decided to do my long run on this loop out, outside of Bishop and it, it was 90 degrees when I started, got up to about 95, 96 hundred percent exposed. And then there was high, like 20 mile an hour winds that I think that just blasted me even more yeah. where I didn't realize how much I was sweating. Cause my shirt was always dry. Yeah. And, uh, after about two hours, I just like, it kind of hit the fan. Yeah. So had a little pity party where I was maybe two and a half hours in, I found a Creek, um, and I, I laid down in it and sat down. I was like, yeah, I'm done. And then after like two minutes, I was like, no, this is perfect. Like I could just get up and one foot in front uh -huh. of the other and keep going. So, so, so you made that, that conscious, uh, decision to confront, you know, the last 30 minutes of your long run in a way that was going to hopefully lead you to, uh, having that, uh, extra bit of, toughness and grit, uh, at the Western States 100, where you're going to have plenty of creeks to, to lay down in at least <laughs> totally. a couple of them, at least. For sure. <laughs> and that's how I always structure my training is I, I like to have runs that are much more difficult per mile or in the environment than the race day will bring. And I've always done that with UTMB and others. And, yeah. and that's kind of how yesterday felt where maybe it, it did bite me, but I think I'm going to come out of it stronger. Dude, it's so funny you mentioned that too, because the first time that concept ever came into my brain was when I had Jimmy Elam on the podcast, the Chico State uh, alum as well. And he said something similar about how he likes to do his training on terrain that's more difficult than the terrain that he's going to confront on race day. And I was thinking about this all day yesterday. Of course, I am getting ready for the Hard Rock 100 myself. And just yesterday, I was out on a, a run that kicked my ass, much like uh, your run kicked your ass yesterday. And that's all I was thinking about is like, well, this is much harder terrain than uh, that that I will be confronting on the Hard Rock 100 course and builds character, builds strength. So, Tim, uh, before we go too far into the Western States preparation and ultimate race execution and how you're thinking about things, I want to sort of start by talking about uh, the story of us running the 2017 UTMB. 
because uh, it was a day that was special for me, a day that we got to spend a lot of time together. And I think it's a fun story. So um, why don't you recount it from, from your perspective and maybe I'll pepper my own flavor in there too. Yeah, that was a wild ride. Yeah. So yeah, the 2017 UTMB, I, I'm in agreement with you. I think you've said this is probably one of the the most competitive ultra marathons we've ever had from a, Hands in a down. men's field. Men's field for sure. It Hands was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, we we found ourselves running together through the middle of the night um, as we passed from France into Italy, and then even all we almost made it to Switzerland together. Yeah, <laughs> we, we didn't quite We're just crest. to the border. I think <laughs> yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, and then I think I, we lost each other in the fog. Yeah, um, but uh, I just recall. There was a storm that rolled in and you, myself, a couple, I think it may have been TOEFL or a few Spaniards uh, were in our little group and we're going up um, this real rocky area and it was, the visibility was so low, like you couldn't really see many people. Yeah. But, this is uh, like 50K into yeah, the race, yeah, going up the Col de Bonhomme. Where the year later or two years later, no, the following year is where I slipped actually right. and cut my leg there. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I what I really remember is on the climb, from France to the Italian border, I was just struggling. Mm. Like, you know, before you'd crest and drop down to Lac Combal, uh, and you were just punishing that climb. And I was just yo-yoing off the back of you. Yeah. And and I was thankful to, to have you there because it was, you're like just this little, I guess a lighthouse that I, I kept looking for your headlamp and I'm like, okay, just stick with Debo. Like yeah. don't get kicked out the back. And, and I think we passed, um, um, we passed Xavier, Xavier up yeah. there and we both were like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, no way. Um, but, uh, yeah, then we basically kind of like, uh, leapfrogged for a bit, but then on the big climb over cold, um, uh, Grand Col Foray is where we really got hit with that, like cold night and, or it was almost morning, I guess, but it was freezing, freezing. freezing. Yeah. And like, I remember at one point you stopped or you were having a hard time with your uh, your little button on your your poles, and like I like stopped and I like tried to hit it for you, and then as we were climbing, in hindsight, I didn't know this, but I was eating, and then your hands froze because earlier <laughs> I had taken my gloves out because I was like, I'm not, I'm going to use my gear. Like if I, if my yeah. hands go, uh, if my hands are no longer functional, I'm not going to be able to eat, and so I, I had taken the time to pull out my gloves and put them on, and I guess you may not have done that, yep. and uh, and on the climb we were climbing together pretty close, and then we crested as we. Ended Entered Switzerland, I turned around and you were gone. And then I didn't see you the rest of the race. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just to add uh, my perspective, I, I mean, it was hilarious because we did, we spent like a ton of time sort of very close to one another. And like, I was doing it a little bit better on the climbs and then you would always come past me on the descents. But for the most part, we were kind of like together and we worked really well together through the night passing Xavier. And I remember we passed Get A Menace somewhere. But, you know, one of the things that I think is instructive or interesting for the listeners is, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but remember we were dropping into Cormier and we were going past Giacomo's place and you were telling me that you weren't feeling very good and that you were like needing some caffeine. And I don't know, just generally you seemed like you were struggling a little bit. And of course, now looking back at the ultimate result, you navigated that issue really well. And you're right. I mean, like we then left Cormier, we passed Zach Miller, we passed Pau, and then ultimately we climb, uh, 
the Grand Col Foray together. And at the top, I thought you were behind me. <laughs> <laughs> and by the time we got down to La Folie, Brian Powell told yeah. me, you know, no, Tim's like five minutes ahead of you. I was like, what the hell? I thought he was behind me. It didn't, it didn't on the splits, like I put some, wait, no, it was later in the race. It was later in the race. Oh, so yeah. you, you might remember this, uh, but at the top of the Bovine climb, yeah. I nearly caught back up to yeah. you. Like it's, I was within a minute, minute yeah. and a half. Yeah. And, um, and then by the time I got down to Trient, which is like 30 minutes later, mm -hmm. probably you had yeah. like eight or nine minutes on me. <laughs> do you remember that? I mean, do yeah. you remember looking over your shoulder and seeing me? And so I I mean, did you put, uh, like yeah. a little bit of I was running scared because yeah. I was like, no, like I'm not going to lose this position. I, I, maybe I was already in third place. You were in third. Fourth. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so in that bovine climb, it was super muddy, like as we yeah. crested and started dropping down. Uh, but I turned around and, and as you said earlier, you would always do better on the climbs and I did better on the descents. And yeah. that's on, I mean, that's pretty much every race of mine that I've yeah. ever had. Yeah. I'm a terrible climber. And, uh, so I crested, I was like, no way, not today. And mm -hmm. I just hammered that downhill to Triant and, uh, and I didn't know until later, but yeah, I may have put like eight minutes on you. And Dude, you totally, that <laughs> totally deflated me, you know, because like, no, of course, like uh, it's, it was also really inspiring and motivating, but, you know, being, feeling like I had nearly caught back up to you at the top of the yeah. climb and then coming down to the bottom and being like, there's no way that's an accurate split. There's no yeah. way he just put like You're eight or nine me. minutes into me on yeah. a, like a fairly short downhill by UTMB standards. But yeah. ultimately you went on to finish third place for the second year in a row. And, and an amazing performance. But, you know, looking back at that sort of uh, midway rough patch that you had there, maybe talk a little bit about, do you remember like that headspace that you were in at the time and like how you kind of fought through that to ultimately have such a strong performance that day again? I, I tend to find that in, in most ultras, if it's a day ultra, maybe around like 35 to 40 miles, I have a slump. Mm. And then in night ultras, it's kind of that maybe 1 a.m., 2 a.m. I have a slump. Yeah. And uh, and at UTMB, I think it coincided with that where, and it had a climb. So I I basically just kind of go into this, this mindset of give yourself a chance. Cause I know if I stick it out long enough, it's probably gonna turn around. Like I, I have a mantra that I sometimes say is this going to get, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes it actually just gets worse and worse and worse. But yeah. if you don't give yourself a shot, then you don't know if it'll ever get better. Um, so I, I try to fix that in little things like that. Like, okay, don't let Dylan get too far ahead or mm. let's just get to Cormier where I'm going to see my crew again yeah. and kind of reset. So like chunking it down into those manageable pieces seems to help. But I, I definitely like, I mean, every race, and this could be in a 5k, there are points where I'm ready to drop out. I'm looking for a reason. And, and I wish I could say mentally, I'm just like fully like all gas, but yeah. I, I, I think I, I question the outcome often. Yeah. You just have to kind of work through those knowing that no state will last forever and give yourself that opportunity to see what may come around. Yeah. I mean, it's a great lesson, obviously, for people who are listening to know that uh, you can finish third in U at UTMB while also being halfway through and feeling like maybe I can't even finish this thing. So that was amazing. Um, also that year, this is just popping into my head, but you and I were... Uh, as we have done many times in the past uh, in Cormier, the few days before the race, just hanging out with a group of friends, uh, doing our last sort of taper runs in Val Ferret and eating a lot of fantastic Italian food. And uh, I, you were, of course, coming in as a third place finisher the year before. 
And it felt to me a little bit like you had a little bit of a chip on your shoulder, like you were being overlooked a little bit because it was, you were returning as a third place finisher. Um, but, you know, it was the return of Killian and Francois and Xavier. And then of course, it was Jim's first running there. Zach Miller was back. It was just the deepest field ever, as you said. Did you feel, was that just my imagination that you had that sort of chip on your shoulder you felt like you were being overlooked and if so was it was it really uh good to vindicate yourself with another podium performance i think that's very astute of you i i did go in feeling that way yeah. there i think there were a lot of little variables that kind of played into it and and actually it's something now that i've worked on detaching myself from that because i Historically, I, I've put too much weight in my athletic identity and you know my self-worth through performance where someone else's success may be at the expense of what my perceived you know worth is, where you know it's not a zero-sum game. But in 2017, it felt that way. Mm-hmm. Like I I was coming off the third place the year before, and I, I felt that you know I, I had kind of earned that that uh, kind of right to be in conversations of like a potential winner. And I pretty much wasn't in most previews. Mm-hmm. And so there was a, a bit of that kind of like chip on the shoulder and wanting to prove people wrong. Um, and it's something I'm very used to because throughout every level of my athletic career from high school to college to post-collegiate to now ultra running, like I've never been that real top, top tier athlete that like is always talked about. Mm. You know, I, I will have some good performances or I, I, I progress year after year, but um, I've never been that standout. So it almost felt like, man, I was close. And and so it was a bit of a shot to the ego, but you know, as I have reflected on it, it's like, I think it was because I, like I felt like my ego was bruised, yeah. but uh, there there was a little bit of that drive to to go in there and you know prove people either wrong if they were naysayers or just kind of justify to myself that I do belong here. Yeah. So there there was a seed of that for yeah. sure. So was there a feeling of relief at the end? I mean, you ran under twenty hours, which is easily the fastest non-winning time ever. I mean, of course, <laughs> Killian also was in front yeah. of you, but to finish third behind Francois and Killian, who are yeah. arguably the two best of all time, yeah. and to run under 20 hours, it must have been a, a feeling of vindication <laughs> after feeling overlooked. For but, sure. I mean, what you say is so so true and so accurate mm-hmm. and something that we talk about on the show all the time of just like, yeah, having um, high ambitions, high standards for yourself, but also not... Have, yeah, having more of a positive sum mentality than a I suck if I don't win mentality. Yeah. So anyway, it's uh, fun to talk about that with you. And it was awesome to share so many miles with you that that night, really. Yeah. And uh, ultimately, uh, you beat me by like 20 or 25 minutes, I think. And um, still, uh, yeah, a fun, special memory in my career. But let's talk more about uh, Western States because... That's what the people want to hear right now. And that's what I want to talk to you yeah, about yeah. is uh, a lot of stuff to go over. And uh, I think a lot of, uh, yeah, interesting ground to cover. And I think first and foremost, just to kind of set the table, I know like you have roots in the area that the Western States 100 takes place in. You spent some time in your childhood in the Auburn, Sacramento area. Just kind of provide some context around that uh, about uh sort of your roots around the area and maybe where you came to learn of the race. Totally. I I grew up in Rockland, which is just minutes from Auburn. Mm-hmm. And uh, my family moved there in 1995 from Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I was there for 10 years prior. 
Um, and uh, my earliest memories um, kind of that region actually are uh, my best friend at the time, we we got into something called geocaching and uh, you're basically taking, you're treasure hunting yep. yeah, using like GPS coordinates. Dude, I had Katie Scheid on the podcast really? and we talked she about it too. She's a geocacher. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I hope I can go to France and uh, geocache yeah. with her. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we, we, like our some of our first caches that we'd go for were from No Hands Bridge. We'd go up K2 in the Western mm. States Trail. And uh, so that was my first introduction to it. And then throughout middle school, I got into running and I had some coaches and then throughout high school that had done the race. And so just as kind of a runner on the West side, you start hearing about States. And, uh, so, and then the further up I went, you know, into college, like my coach had, uh, alumni that had done, in, um, or were doing the, the race and we followed along while we were in the vans driving to, I think it was, a. Uh, it was one of our meets, but we were following along. And um, so it was, it was kind of neat just to have a lot of coaches, mentors, future um, uh, coworkers, because I worked at the local running store in, in Sacramento, mm-hmm. um, Fleet Feet, for a number of, or not even a number of years. Lindsay worked there for four years. But um, so pretty much everybody, if you're a runner, like you know about it. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of one of those like, as I got into the sport, the first question was, when are you going to do states? When are you going to do states? Yeah. And and I, I actively was holding it uh, kind of at bay because I, I wasn't ready, honestly, to, to approach it. And, and I've kind of reflected on this. And, and part of it, I think, is that for me, states was too personal. Mm. Like it was a coming home of sorts where I'd be on display and vulnerable and it'd be raw in front of friends and family that I actually like really care about something that maybe I wasn't quite ready to like confront where if I'd travel off to these fanciful lands, like across, you know, in these countries where we run through the night and you have, you have packs on and it almost feels like it's not real. And so if success or failure occurs out there, I can almost detach from it, mm-hmm. and then I get to come back to my my you know just kind of quiet life in the Sierra. You don't feel like you're no. as under the microscope. Yeah, or... exactly. So, and I think there was a lot of that, and so mentally I just wasn't ready. But on paper, states is a course that suits my strengths more than any other. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to finally kind of dive into it. Yeah. So I mean, that's what I was another thing that I was really interested in because you come from this collegiate cross-country track background, you've run on the roads a lot. And to this point, your most high-profile successes in the sport have been in these mountainous races like UTMB and CCC and Lavaredo. But like you said, your skill set on paper would seem that you would be more suited to a race like Western States. And so I guess, uh, how are you thinking about it from that perspective? Or like, why did you wait so long to actually... (laughs) dip your foot in the Western States water. It was simply because you it felt like it was uh, too close to home and uh, you wanted to do things uh, a little bit f- further afield or what was it? That, that's probably the, the biggest uh, driver to keep me away. Um, and, uh, and some of it also, I mean, we could touch on it in a bit, but like in the last year, I feel like I've prioritized things outside of just my physical training where, you know, like trying to address mental health, nutrition, and just in the last like six weeks sleep, yeah. <laughs> like some of these things, we could call them pillars maybe. Yes, um, <laughs> I think they, they've been game changers for me yeah. and um, it's allowed me to feel like I'm in a emotionally stable enough place to maybe confront states. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, being the grandfather of them all and the first race I ever learned about in the sport, I wanted to do it justice and not just go in um, because it was expected of me. And even if I may have done well, I, I just wanted to, 
to do right by the race. I yeah. think it deserves that. So, so that was a big motivator that I, I felt like I needed to be in a good physical and mental headspace before I, I tackled something of this grandeur. Beautiful, beautiful segue because I wanted to talk about, yeah, all this stuff about the physical preparation, the mental preparation, and just like feeling good about the goals that you have in front of you, because I think ultimately that's when we perform our best. And um, I pulled up uh, a text exchange that we had back in April, and I hope I'm not betraying any confidences here, but it was when I was sort of letting you know that we were thinking about coming to spend uh, some of the summer here to train for Hard Rock. And in our text conversation, I was just kind of asking you how training was going for Western States. And you said, it's good. It's just starting. I have plenty of time. And for the first time in years, I'm ready to go deep. Fucking psyched. <laughs> so I, I wanted you to expand on that. Like, why is it that this is the first time in years that you felt ready to go deep? Well, first I should address, Lindsay's going to hear this and be like, you use the F word because I won't say it in person, but I'll type it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, we'll bleep it out. Yeah. We'll bleep it out. Um, but um, why is this? So yeah, that's a multi-pronged answer. Uh, partly is, for, I guess personally, I, I find that my best performances come when I'm genuinely curious about the event at hand. I mean, it could be the marathon, the steeplechase, UTMB initially. Mm -hmm. um, that curiosity drives me. It's mm -hmm. sort of entering the unknown, <clears throat> wanting to see what I'm capable of, and and that excitement gets me out the door every day to mm -hmm. train. Um, over the last couple of years, UTMB has kind of fizzled in my mind, like in terms of my interest, where because it lacks the curiosity, the curiosity, and and I think there are a lot, of, there are, there are many other variables there that um, also I I wasn't handling well, mm -hmm. uh, so it it just became a, a stressor. Where I in 2018 when I went there, I I was physically somewhat prepared. I was dealing with some some health issues, but uh, like mentally, I was kind of on the fence, but. Like then I had that fall slice open in my leg and I DNF'd. And then the next year I really should not have been there. I didn't yeah. want to be there. I was super unhappy and in a bad mental headspace. And and honestly, I was looking for basically a reason to drop out. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then with the pandemic, it uh, it kind of came at a time where where I think from a racing standpoint and like an athletic standpoint for me, it was a blessing because it gave me an opportunity to kind of reset. At first, it was hard because I had you know goals of doing states last year and I want to do all these things. But then as I reflected on it, I wasn't ready to do states last year. It was one of those like, hey, I'm in, I should go do it. But uh, then I, I actually um, started working more on the kind of the mental side over the last 16 months, um, including been working with a psychologist for, for sitting like weekly for, for some stuff. And um, it, I just felt like I, I finally had the opportunity to breathe because the world was on pause. And uh Although in my professional life as a PT at the hospital, like anxiety was through the roof as mm -hmm. we were donning all of our, our PPE is going in there in the unknowns, but like professionally from the athletics, like I felt like it actually served me well because it was a time to step back and take care of myself and uh, not have all these external pressures. So, so that was, that was helpful. And so I think that, that laid the groundwork for, you know, the last 16 months to, to work on like my mindset and address kind of deep seated mental illness issues that I hadn't been willing to. Mm -hmm. And so it's allowed me to come in with a, like a new perspective of, Hey, I'm curious again, like what I could do at States. And I, I feel like I'm letting some of those insecurities go where mm -hmm. I can line up hopefully. And I mean, I, I, I'm speaking as if I have it all figured out, right. well, maybe not, but I is a work in progress, but I'm excited to see what 
the potential is there now, that I have a better toolkit to help guide me. So the reason that you feel ready to go deep is because you have the curiosity again for the event at hand and because you've taken the time to sort of shine a light internally as well as uh, focus on the external training as well. Totally. And I think that, that um, like I have stepped to so many start lines mentally exhausted mm-hmm. where even the physical training was there, I, I was just at war with myself. And, and as you know, these events, if you have cracks in that armor, when it really gets hard, you're going to start to falter and you're, you're not going to perform to your best because mm-hmm. I think the brain is a variable that can be depleted. And when you're staying on the start line and you're, you're already just, you know, second guessing because you are mentally just like completely, the tank is empty. Yeah. It's a really crappy place to be yeah. where this time around, I feel like the tank is uh, pretty full and is ready to drain it. Amazing. Yeah. So if you're willing to talk about some of the mindset training and sports psychology stuff that you've been working on, I think people would be really interested. Like what, what are sort of the things that you've been working on to make yourself a better athlete on the physical or the psychological and emotional front rather than the physical training? So I know you're, you're, uh, you're not going to get everything out of me, but, uh, and I mean, <laughs> Whatever you want to share, I mean. but no, actually, so some of yeah. this is that, um, I've been working with a, um, not a sports psych, it's, it's an actual psychologist uh-huh. for more mental health issues, mm. but it, I've noticed the parallel in sport. So it's been addressing just deep seated things that I've had for a lifetime that uh, I'm not quite ready to, sure. to open up Listen, on, but yeah. uh, it's it's been really helpful just noticing the changes in my personal life with Lindsay and mm-hmm. relationships, and then just how many parallels there are in sport. So I think as I've really worked internally on myself, I've been able to draw that out and then apply it to sport and it's given me a healthier perspective on it. So, so some, I mean, with, without going deep into it, I mean, some of the low, low hanging fruit really would be like, you know, self-compassion or mm. like, you know, practicing gratitude, mm. those things that like, I really wasn't good about. Like uh, I've kind of spent a lifetime hating, yeah, yeah, like, and, and hating myself for what I'm not and not uh. being thankful for what I am. And so I think that learning to flip that has been a game changer of just trying to realize that like, yeah, when I get caught up in those comparison games, it's it's a deadly mm-hmm. deadly path to go down. Yeah. And um, and so I think that there's been a lot of just mindset shifting in that regard. And then, you know, in then working with someone like Roxy over at Goo Energy Labs, a nutritionist, like she's helped me work through a lot of things and and give me better tools to to you know attack. Um, just daily training and and um, and realizing that you know you can treat food as fuel and, and that it can be training versus just kind of um, having a really unhealthy relationship with it. So, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So I think there there've been a lot of little things, but part of it is you know I, I realized how much it's benefited my personal life, but then the competitive spirit in me is like, man. What is this going to do for sport? Yeah. Like, you know, where is it going to take me? And but at the same time, which I think is exciting, I want to keep that path, but as I said earlier, trying to detach from just the outcome and the, um, the results where 
I, I actually recently saw a few interviews that I've done with other publications over the years, and it's like I was always saying the right things, and like yeah. I come off as, come off as this like you know woke enlightened individual, <laughs> yeah. but like I was lying to myself. Like yeah, I, I yeah. just knew what to say, yeah. but I wasn't wasn't that. necessarily yeah. genuine. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing that, man. I mean, yeah, obviously, um, like the. Sport is so uh, dynamic, and that there's, and especially in ultra running, there's so many different things that go into our success or failure. And somebody who has the talent that you do, I mean, that'll take you far on its own. But you know, if you're constantly battling this internal demon and you're not reaching out for that external support, it is gonna eventually you're gonna hit a ceiling where you're not gonna be able to progress any further. And so, you know, being in your 30s now and a mature athlete and somebody who's uh, been around the the sport for a long time, it just shows that you can continually kind of reinvent yourself or find new ways to reach that next level. And oftentimes it's not like a new crazy workout, right? Yeah. After, in fact, it's never that <laughs> no. after being a runner since you're no, in your, a teenager. For sure. It's all about reaching out and, and uh, figuring out that psychological side, the emotional side. And once that space is freed up and that energy is freed up that otherwise you spend being self-critical or um, yeah, being wrapped up in comparisons to other athletes or whoever, then you're just like, you can take the next step in your training and that's when we perform at our best. So, and, and I have found that, um, like along those lines, the, I, I've, for whatever reason, I've always viewed like injury or, you know, failure as weakness. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it stems a lot from childhood stuff. And, um, I mean, as like a good Midwestern Norwegian Lutheran, like you sh show up, you sweep things under the rug and then Sunday morning you show up with your hot dish and a smile and, yeah. uh, and everything's okay. But, uh, yeah. I, I think that it's a really hard thing to ask for help. And I mean, that's like one thing for me, it was, it was, terrifying to finally start asking for help. Yeah. And, uh, but I'm thankful that through the encouragement of Lindsay and other family, like I, I finally did. Cause I think it's just, I mean, it, I, I regret waiting until I was 35 to start that. Yeah. And like, I mean, thinking back even as like, it'd be awesome if we'd had some access to like sports psych or other things as yeah. a high schooler. But I think even to collegiate times, like, you know, I, I, spent 20 years without really a great toolkit. You learn on the fly and what works and what doesn't, but I think some of the stuff like with pillars, you know, start offering more of this and making it accessible to people mm -hmm. is going to be amazing because, you know, it, it would have been, it would have saved me a lot of heartache if I had asked for or had access to professional guidance when I was a teenager. Yeah. Like it could have, it wouldn't have you know, avoided every pitfall, but I could have definitely had a, a much different outcome in life. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, so I feel the same, you know, I'm so embarrassed uh, that it took me until I was 33 to like actually <laughs> sort of start thinking about my internal life. And it, it was obviously born out of a moment where I really, I had no other choice. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's just uh so important, not only for our personal health, but also on the performance uh, side of things, there's just nothing I think that's a bigger unlock to becoming the athletes that we want and know that we can be than to actually, you know, pay attention to that part of our lives as well. So anyway, thanks so much for sharing that. It's, uh, I think really valuable and, um, sort of in the same vein, you and I went running a couple of days ago here in Mammoth. You took me on a nice 10 mile run and, um, I was talking to you about a recent race that you did at the Bishop High Sierra 55 K, which I want to talk about, but, um, 
you said something, I, I asked you a question while we were running about like, do you feel like you wish you could have done more races prior to Western States? Because me personally, I like to do sort of a, at least a couple big long races prior to my ultimate A goal. So for example, I'm doing hard rock and I just did the backbone trail, which was 70 miles or so. And for me, that was my race simulation, my opportunity to really go deep in order to feel confident in my ability to then do the, the hard rock 100. And you said something that was really interesting to me about, um, how, you know, your mindset around racing is certainly a lot different than mine. And, uh, just in terms of your approach to Western States. So maybe, uh, talk a little bit about that race and, and, uh, sort of why it is that, you didn't necessarily feel like you needed to do a bigger, longer effort leading into the Western States 100. I have a, a, a complicated relationship with races. I think uh, they, yeah, because many athletes like yourself, they they pull the confidence from it. But but I have found over the years, I pull confidence from training, and I often feel view races as opportunities to compromise that confidence. Um, but uh, this ties into a lot of the other things that you know touched on briefly of like, you know, insecurities or trying to um, always compare myself with others and, and deep rooted things that I struggle with and not handling them well. A race is an opportunity for those to boil up and be on show and be in front of people where I would much rather shell up and hide out in the Sierra by myself. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's where I feel comfortable. So every time a race comes around, anxiety rises, you know, there's a lot of things that boil over and, and that can lead into that mental exhaustion. So being able to just focus on training, I kind of do the work, get it done. And I can dissociate a little bit more of what it might mean versus, you know, the race being a opportunity to rank rate or compare ourselves with others. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, it's necessary. That's what sport is. Yeah. You know, you're clashing, like, you know, and it's amazing <laughs> and there's heartache and there's like joyous moments. But I think for someone that isn't in a good mental headspace, it's, it's a, a big struggle. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I, unfortunately have sabotaged myself many a time before races because I just didn't have the tools to manage what I should have, should have been the celebratory, like, you know, icing on the cake of eight to 12 weeks of training. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, jumping in that little, um, 55 K down in Bishop a few weeks ago, was perfect because it's a local, um, just kind of hang out with people I know in the Sierra. There's no fanfare. There's no one around. You can't find results for two weeks afterwards. Um, you know, there are no write-ups about it. And, but it was an opportunity to go be part of our, like with our tribe and hang yeah. out with people, which, you know, I, you know, it, I feel conflicted because I, I do love that about our sport, like how we can connect and, and share things. But then, it, you know, if I'm not in a good headspace, it's a really hard place for me to be yeah. around other people. So I think that, uh, like, that was just perfect. It, you know, jumped in as a supported long run, got to, like, support the the local search and rescue and the outdoor youth program, um, which are beneficiaries. And, yeah, it was awesome. But uh, I, I, I kind of have that uh, – I feel like I'm always in conflict because – my ego needs the races to perform, to elevate my like identity and worth, you mm -hmm. know, is how it has been. 
But then there's always that pitfall of like, if I'm tied to it and it's dependent on a good like result or someone else not doing as well, you know, that's not sustainable. Yeah. Like, and so searching for sort of that, um, that purpose through outcome oriented events, which is something I've done for a long time is what I'm trying to unpack and dissociate from because, you know, it's, it's not like, I think, and that applies to a lot of domains, but if, if you're constantly looking for something from someone else, and it, like whatever the variable is, it's depending on someone giving it to you, it's not gonna be sustainable. Like, yeah. but finding a way to really be like, okay with your effort or whatever you're putting into it or the, you know, cliche as it is, like the, the process, I think that's where it's a, mm -hmm. a sustainable and long-term pursuit that can fully kind of keep you joyful. Um, and so racing, it's is deeply ingrained with me, but it, it stemmed from, you know, like childhood trauma where it's like, yeah. hey, you get into this because it's a way to find acceptance or love uh, or, you know, kind of, yeah. you know, a place of belonging, which I think is one of those, you know, hierarchical needs that we totally. need to be met. Mm -hmm. And, but it can, left unchecked, it can run astray. Yeah. So. so do you think that right now you're in a place where whether it goes good or bad at Western States, you're gonna be able to come home and feel okay about yourself? I'm at a, I'm at the best, how would I say that? I am the closest to being able to live that than I, that I have ever. Yes. So, I mean, that's what I keep working on is like detaching from the outcome mm -hmm. and, and realizing that I, my goal for States is I want to go in there and I want to truly just drain the tank. Yeah. And if that means I get 40th or if I win the damn thing, like I, I'm going to walk away being like thankful with that effort, which I, I can't, I can honestly say I haven't been able to say that before. Yeah. Now maybe ask me, you know, June 27th, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I, I'm really working hard to, to live that because yeah. <clears throat> that's all we can do. Like, yeah. and, and, uh, you know, it's something that through this, you know, the last year, I actually, I reached out to a few, a few people and, and I just apologized to them that like, Hey, I haven't been a better teammate or friend. Cause like, uh, I was so wrapped up in things and like, you know, sorry for, for not being there more, uh, -huh. uh because I viewed their successes as a threat, mm. which is, I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to say, but that's how it was. Like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, Hey, their success meant I was failing, yeah. which isn't true. But that's how I felt. And, and I mean, in hindsight, like looking back, it's like, man, it, it sucks because I miss out on like opportunities to build relationships with people that I think we'd be really good friends, but I just was in a really bad headspace. So yeah. it's kind of like you do what you can to protect yourself. And it's not always <laughs> the, the best thing, but so yeah, I, I'm, I am really looking forward to just seeing where the cards fall on the yeah. 26. Yeah. Dude, that is so beautiful. Thank you yeah. so much for saying that. You I could, think uh, stitch that on a pillow or something. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. I'm so glad to hear that, man. Yeah. I mean, it's such a beautiful way to sort of encapsulate that positive sum mentality too. And just going into it with the confidence that obviously, you know, you want to succeed and your friends and family want you to succeed. But at the end of the day, if it goes sideways and you don't make it to the finish line, nobody mm -hmm. cares, you know, everybody's still going to love you the same way. And it's not going to, yeah. it's not going to have a, a, you know, a macro impact on, on, you know, the way people feel about you. So. And I think as sponsor, I mean, you've experienced this, but 
you know, as you get further up in a sport and maybe there's actual like sponsorships and money on the line, yeah. then you feel that external pressure even more yeah. where, you know, and if you let that take you down, it will, because yeah. you can ruminate on that, those issues or on those variables to a very unhealthy extent. Yeah. Like I had a bit of an awakening though, when I dropped out of 20, um, 19, what was it? Or yeah, 2018 and 19, I had two DNFs at UTMB, UTMB. and then my contract was up. And it was like, dude, why would Hoko still want me? I DNF yeah. the biggest stage two years in a row. Like, yeah. and, and I had a lot of that fear that like I was gonna lose sponsorship. I yeah. mean, my relationship with them is amazing, but you know, when you are someone that deals with anxiety or, or other, you know, things, it's hard to stop those ruminating thoughts. Yeah. And, uh, and thankfully, like, you know, when they did resign me, it's like, oh, okay, like, but you almost still feel like you're at threat. Dude. Like, and you're just kind of like, uh, like I need to keep Papa happy, you know? Yeah. And even though I'm, I am thankful that I have a full-time job outside of this, it's a sport I care about a yeah. lot and, and I want to do well in it. Yeah. But, uh, which is natural. I mean, it brings up something that I don't think I've talked about on the podcast either. And that in my personal crisis in 2019, I was coming off of what was the best year of my professional running career as well. And then, you know, re-signed all my contracts with my long-term sponsors, especially the North Face and Red Bull. And I mean, Harmony would, would tell you this, but like there was months and there where I was like, I am giving this back. I don't feel good about accepting this support when I can't do my job. You know, it's like if you were a lawyer and you were charging a client by the hour and then not doing any work, you know, that's how I felt. And it felt just so freaking awful, but luckily, you know, as we were just saying, these are just stories that we're telling ourselves, right? And at the same time, you know, my Red Bull manager, who you know, Aaron yeah, Ritzy, yeah. is like a dear, dear friend. And, you know, he's reaching out all the time to make sure I'm good. And like, yeah, I had unwavering support from the North Face and everybody else, but you just can't help but feel just this like intense feeling of fraudulence, you know? Yeah. But, um, and I think some of that is that we get so caught up on athletes can only produce results. And if you can't produce that result because you're injured, you're worthless. Yeah. Where we're starting to see a kind of paradigm shift and I hope it continues, but there's so many other ways that we can give back to our communities and connect. And, and I think brands and athletes have to do better. Um, and hopefully that continues, but that's the old model where if you literally can't be on the start line, then you're not worth your contract. Yeah. And that's not true. Yeah. But it's hard to buck that kind of... Um, that mentality because that is pretty ingrained. Yeah. And I mean, it I've goes had, back to the identity thing. Yeah, you know, if that's sure. all you see yourself as, yeah. as a runner and yeah. you know, you're worthless if you're not standing on top of the podium, then yeah. of course you're going to feel like your sponsors are going to hate you, but yeah. nobody else is thinking that way. So I know. You know, stop thinking <laughs> the about things it. things we tell ourselves are horrible. <laughs> <It's> so crazy. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway, let's talk more about the, the Bishop race. Uh, uh yeah. I mean, it was a small local race, as you said, but you smashed it course record, you won the race, you averaged like 655 pace over the course of, um, what you have 35 miles or something. And, um, it seemed to be like kind of in the middle of a training week. It's not like you tapered down for it. So talk a bit about that race. Um, uh, just like, I'm sure you sort of viewed it as a, as a dress rehearsal for Western States coming up as sort of, how did it fit into your training and how did you feel about it? Uh, I was, I was super happy with it. It, uh, body felt good. And then as you said, I was coming off a 
kind of a three-week block of uh, some of the highest mileage and I've done in training. And so on Thursday, actually, I texted Todd, the race director, I was like, hey, can I still get in? Because it wasn't part of the plan. Yeah. And then I texted Mario, my coach, like, do you mind if I jump into a race? And he's like, yeah, go for it. Um, so, but it, just the thought of having a supported long run and being with the community again, and it, it was... A, for me, it was a nice um, kind of stepping stone, even just being exposed to the community because I've been away for so long mm -hmm. and try and maybe deal, like test out some of the strategies I've been working on mentally with, you know, my therapist and uh, just kind of, you know, at a, a race that means nothing, yeah. a race that has low risk. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it was perfect and I felt good throughout. Um, it's a it's an awesome race. It's uh, similar to states where it's like, you know, got a, a big climb, a lot of runnable terrain, little rock area, some sand. Um, normally it's pretty hot. It wasn't hot this year, but, um, yeah, I, I was, I was psyched that it was just like, Hey, an indicator that we're on the right path. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so walking away from there, it was, it was just a, a nice feeling that, you know, got through that and also kind of challenged some of those internal, like, you know, kind of thought viruses or demons where you're like, ah, oh, you survived, you're, you're fine. Yeah. Like, you know, like you challenge, you know, what you tell yourself in your head with reality and fact, and, and it's easier to kind of move forward. Yeah. yeah. So like in the description in your, your Strava for that activity, you said something to the effect of that it was the capstone to what might be the best four week training block of your entire running career. Maybe, uh, I mean, people can follow you on Strava and see what you're doing, but talk a little bit about your training leading up to Western States, what you and Mario have been working on and maybe how this sort of internal life stuff has, has fit in with your physical training. Sure. The, yeah, I think that four week block, I, I may have had like three, you know, just X's and O's like three weeks of 110 to 125 miles, all with 21K plus of vert. Um, but the way I was kind of structuring it was taking, um, taking like rest days when I needed them. So like my seven day cycle shifted where it wasn't always Monday to Sunday where being a little OCD, sometimes I, you know, if, if I have a hundred miles on the schedule and 15 K of vert, I'm going to hit a hundred miles and 15 K of vert yeah, to at the, the expense of the like tea. me, yeah. like nursing an ankle injury for the next yeah. seven days. Um, where this time is like, no, like the body doesn't recognize this, the Monday through Sunday calendar. Like it, it appreciates you know, seven days worth of work. Mm -hmm. And so I had many day or many weeks in there that it was kind of shifted. It's like, oh, Tuesday through the next Monday, or it was like a Saturday through Friday. And, and so looking back, like I, you know, it's something that like I'm proud of and, and also letting some of that um, obsession go where I, I had something on the calendar and like, I was like, man, it was a stressful work at, day at work. Like Mario, I'm pushing this to the next day. And he's like, yeah, that sounds good. And I normally am so rigid that I, I do things at possibly the expense of my health. Mm -hmm. And so shifting those, that stuff around and being more liberal with my ability to be flexible, I think was helpful. Um, and, and coming out of it, just feeling strong and confident. But like I said you, to you earlier, I feel like I could have done more. Yeah. Um, and then, but I'm learning to check that fear of like, no, no, you did enough. Like, but th there can be like, especially in the taper tantrum, like when you, yeah. you're like, man, I didn't do enough. But in this moment, it was kind of like, I think that's the sweet spot where you feel like, oh, I want to do a little bit more. And there was a few times where I was feeling good and I actually cut runs slightly short, like, and I didn't do the full prescribed run, yeah. but it wasn't because it was you know, cause I couldn't, it was more, I felt I've done enough for today. Mm -hmm. And maybe that is that I, 
my starting to get a little wise in in my old <laughs> late on the the back half of thirty, but uh, I, I think it's it's so important, and and this so many people say this that you know go in like. 10% undertrained rather yeah. than 1% overtrained because it's going to take a lot on that race yeah. day. Um, and I'd rather try and squeeze out a little bit more on race day than, you know, on one of those big training weeks. Yeah. So and yeah, Strava, the Strava cycle doesn't look super sexy and like is, is nothing outrageous, but it, it's solid. Like yeah, well, singles and doubles all day. That's what I was going to say. I mean, that was another thing that we talked about on our run the other day. Uh, average about, speed wins races. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <what> I <laughs> <laughs> but you had done a workout the day before and I was asking you about it and you're like, yeah, it was just like some five minute pushes, you know, nothing fancy whatever just out there getting getting the work done but not mm -hmm. trying to hit home runs just trying to hit doubles and singles all day yeah and do that for weeks and months on end and yeah then you hit grand slams <laughs> right? that's, I mean, that's and i you know it's funny i i've i've been preaching this for a long time and <laughs> i was telling you on that same run it's like i listen to your podcast and i think man i come off as this like sage advice giving <laughs> guy to like all the young people in the sport all um, the chico the, cats, all the chico yeah. ones um but uh and it, and it's something I learned from my college collegiate coach. And then when I was here marathoning in, in Mammoth from uh, Terrence Mahone, you know, he was all about emotional control. Mm -hmm. And and I think that it applies to so many different domains in training and in racing. And, and in life. And in life. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's, you know, I've seen, and, and I've been fortunate to see so many people, uh, I've been fortunate and to see at their expense and then burn out or like uh, have bad performances. But yeah. you learn from witnessing that. And, and being a student of the sport, I, you know, I see that and I'm like, we don't need to have those huge, sexy Strava weeks. You know, it mm -hmm. is, it's the singles and the doubles and it's the week after week, year after year. Like, I mean, when I got in the sport for ultra running, I couldn't handle more than 9,000 feet of vert in a week. Like mm -hmm. I would break down and like, and, and Mario's like, Hey, let's just year after year build in like over seven years. Now I can handle more, mm -hmm. but and, and I guess that's sort of also a testament, just kind of that slow burn, like, you know, the grit. I, I was joking with, uh, um, with Mario after your podcast with Jimmy or, or um, it may have been with Anthony, but I was like, yeah, you, you don't find that Chico grit at D1 schools, like with the fancy facilities <laughs> and like trainers and sports psychs. Like it's something you get at a D2 underfunded school yeah. where you just got that blue collar grind. Blue collar, yeah. yes. And I think it, if, you're, if you're durable enough or you care about the sport enough and you're in it long enough, like you're gonna have success at some point. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned sleep earlier. I'm curious like what you've changed on that front that you think's helped. So this comes from Lindsay. Like I, I've always had that horrible, <laughs> embarrassing adage of I'll sleep when I'm dead. You yeah. know, it's like I'm gonna pack as much as I can into my life, and and I've I've done that for many years. Um, but um, I also have realized, especially in the last six months, I was burning out, mm -hmm. like juggling my physical therapy life full-time, training full-time, and then this side gig that, the hustle that I'm working on full-time. It's like, <laughs> there are not enough hours in the day for this, and I am just spent. And uh, and Lindsay does a lot of listening to um, some different neuroscientists, including uh, Dr. Huberman. He has this awesome podcast, The Huberman Lab, yeah. and they talk about sleep a lot and other things. But uh, she's always hounding me, like, you know, do these little things. But so just in the last couple months, I've started, like, listening, like absorbing that more and, uh, and appreciating how, how much sound advice she was giving. Um, and there've been times where it's like, I wake up after eight, eight and a half hours. I'm like, Oh, yeah. feel rejuvenated. Like this is nice. Yeah. Uh, so it's just something that I think with a busy lifestyle, it's easy to let sleep be compromised, but 
all of the science tells us that's the one thing you shouldn't compromise. Yeah, like, like it's the most important it, like part of our lives. Everything's gonna crumble yeah. if sleep goes down, but so many of us- these aura rings, the aura right? yeah. So I, the closest I've gotten to anything like that is I have my eye mask. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I, I'm pretty uh, low, low tech. Low tech, but, yeah. Uh, no, it's, 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 it's critical. Yeah. Um, but, so, I mean, that's a very new thing that I'm working on and mm -hmm. I'm still not great with it, but, uh, and, and a lot of that stems from a mind that will not turn off. Yeah. So like the mm -hmm. moment I'm up, my mind is cranking and I'm worrying about things or there are other things um, going on and like, like these, you know, things grab hold and then I can't turn it back off. So it's kind of like, well, I might as well get up. So I'm up super early and I'm yeah. just doing things. And, and then, uh, and I think we lie to ourselves saying that we're very functional and that you can multitask or you can juggle all these things and, and you can to an extent, but you don't do everything as well as you could. Mm -hmm. You should be able to. Yeah. Wow, man. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems like you're really focusing on all the little things now. And I'm sure, um, yeah, like we said earlier, it's it's easy to look back and kick ourselves that we hadn't implemented these <laughs> things earlier, but it seems that you're in a great place. And I think we should start talking about the race itself now because it's coming up in less than two weeks. You've been putting a lot of hard effort into it. And I think there's a lot of interesting sort of storylines and, and things to think about as it relates to this year's edition of the Western States 100, which is of course, always the most important race in the US every year. It's your first time running the event, but you're a seasoned veteran of the ultra circuit now. And uh, certainly, you know, a fan favorite and a contender going into this race. And, you know, just to add my own editorial here, you know, in my opinion, there's really like five guys who I think could win the race this year. You know, just looking at the field, it's like, Jim, obviously, Jared, um, Matt Daniels, and um, and you, and oh no, and Hayden, and you. And if you look at the other four guys, so Jim, Jared, Matt, and Hayden, they all race with a usually a very aggressive style, and you're always more, much more measured in your approach to racing, and I'm. And obviously, like, there's multiple different ways that you can skin a cat, but I'm just curious about how you're thinking about the dynamic of the race and strategically, if you ever feel pressured to sort of move away from your measured approach to be more aggressive. Something that is a bit of a misconception is that I'm always that reserved starter and like hammer home, but there, there are actually a lot of races in my career that I've taken the lead from the gun or I like am more aggressive, but I think mm -hmm. the biggest ones that get attention are like the international UTMBs where I am the the stalker and yeah. like, you know, I'm hunting down the, the prey. Um, and so I'm actually very comfortable leading from the start, um, but I look at each race individually. And, and so let's take state, Western states for example. I really view that course kind of like a, a wild Mustang. Like if you if you come in with speed and force and try to tame it, you're gonna get bucked. Yeah. But if you approach her with just kind of respect and and slowly build trust and momentum throughout the day. I think you're in for like the ride this of your is life. The best and like <laughs> the best that's, analogy. That's kind of how I, I view that course. Um, and so if people are, you know, hammering it out at the front and and uh, and getting aggressive and it's too hot for what I think is is measurably my within my uh, limits, I'll let them go. Mm -hmm. But you know, if it's come like if I am taking internal um, 
kind of uh, measurements and, and decide that, no, this is this is where I should be. Like, I'll be fine at the front early. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one of those is kind of letting people do what they do and try to check my ego and, and know that my ultimate goal for states is I want to run the race I think I'm capable of. Mm-hmm. And I don't get caught up in races inside of races. Mm-hmm. Like, it's uh, I'm not going to hammer someone up devil's thumb because I want the lead. Like, I'll gladly let 15 people pass me because yeah. <laughs> I want to hammer from green gate to the finish. Yeah. So I remember a few years ago, you paced Alex Nichols in the second half. And this was the year that Ryan Sands won the race, but Alex was second. He's in the race this year again. And he yeah, utilizes uh, the the stalker approach to racing even more so than you do. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he's the ultimate come from behind, <laughs> yeah. super consistent, great racer. But having that experience of, of pacing Alex back in, was it 2017, 2017. maybe? Um, is there anything that sticks out to you from that experience that maybe you're gonna apply to your race? It was neat to to experience being at the front of the field with him because he was in sec he was in third when I picked him up and then Jim unfortunately dropped oh, um, right. at the river that year so we passed um, Jim and his pacer. Did you run all thirty eight miles? I did. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually had only planned on maybe running the first eighteen, but then I felt like Alex has a chance to catch Ryan and. I was, yeah, it was Ryan that year. Yeah. And, and, and I was like, nah, I need to take this guy to the yes. bench. Like, let's do it. Let's yes. go. Um, that is friendship. And, uh, and cause I, I think you probably share a similar sentiment. He's one of the most underrated hundred percent runner, like ultra runners in the, yeah. in the world. Like he, because he, of that, he's one of my favorites because yeah. I'm just like, yeah. this dude has been a badass yeah. for like 12 years. He never gets the respect that he yeah. deserves and he's always <laughs> consistent. I've learned so much from him. Yeah. I'd say from that that one race, we passed Greengate and he was feeling good, but like probably a mile later, he was just puking his guts out mm-hmm. and he had pounded stuff too quickly. And and then since I didn't have much experience with states, I was like, oh man, this isn't gonna be good. But then watching him rally and like maintain, like we didn't necessarily eat into Ryan's lead, but we didn't lose anything, um, was pretty inspiring. And just kind of that that reminder of, hey, you can literally throw up your last nutritional like kind of uh, thing that you deposited and you can come back from that. So I think just that resilience of, of let it ride and don't throw the towel in yeah. is something that'd be helpful. Hell yeah. yeah. So to use the horse metaphor that you just used a second ago, you know, there's this saying there's horses for courses, right? And looking at the field, you know, it seems to me like you're the perfect type of athlete for Western States. And we've talked about this a couple of times. You're a great downhill runner. You were born or you were raised in the area. You've been on the course. You're a freaking great athlete. How are you thinking about the course itself and, and maybe uh, how you are going to approach it given your skill set? Man, I love that course. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's so good. Um, I think it just blends all of the things I love about running. Like, the first 30 miles through the high country, it's going to be a nice, pretty... Have you run that section? I haven't hit that yeah. one yet. So that I've run the final 70. It's tougher than you expect, honestly. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, that's what I hear. And, but I think I'm going to feel at home there because yeah. my current home in the Sierra is <laughs> not tougher is, than this. <laughs> yeah, I hope it's not tougher than this. I've been told it isn't, but, um, I think that, uh, it's just going to feel natural, you know, that early Alpine start, uh, running through the high country, cool weather. Um, and it's something I'm just so familiar with cause I've put in thousands and thousands of miles in that type of environment. Um, but then, then you get to drop into things that, you know, I, I suit my strengths, you know, the long gradual downhills, like, you know, that downhill half marathon is kind of like Grand Colferay yeah. down to La Foulie. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's very runnable. Um, the climbs there's, I mean, relatively short, punchy climbs, like 1500, 1700 feet where compared to a lot of European races, it, it kind of be like the, the appetizer before the big yeah, climbs. Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, the, the runnable Cal Street, um, Greengate to the finish. And I mean, from Greengate to the finish, I've run thousands of miles along that just over the years. Um, and, uh, bombing down to Nohan's bridge I've done, I can't even count how many times, yeah. but, uh, so it's, I, I get excited thinking about the course and, and I, I actually, with the exception of the first 30, I can visualize and run the course without markings. Um, so I've done a lot of that where I just kind of play, play it through in my head. And, and I, I'm excited just to finally get out there and try it. Yeah. Like, but, you know, and I also appreciate that it may not pan out the way I want the first time. I mean, it took Jim three times, yeah. you know, and, and I'm okay with that, but it's kind of like, I am that in, you know, kind of in it for the long run. So if I'm 40, when I finally win Western States, that's cool. Hell yeah. <laughs> but we'll Hell see. Yeah. yeah I, I think, uh, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that I'll, I'll have the day I'm looking for out there. Yeah. So I also got a little bit of intelligence that you're not going to be running with a pacer. Can you, uh, tell us why it is that you're using that approach and, uh, how you're feeling about it? I feel really good about it. I, I've decided to forego a pacer because it's what I know. I, I've never had a pacer in any ultra. Um, I train alone. I pretty much race alone. Um, I feel comfort in that kind of solitude. And, and when I'm able to go internal, I tend to make less mistakes where if I'm caught up around others, I'm more likely to fixate on what they're doing, what's happening. And then I may make a, uh, just sort of like a, a clerical error mm -hmm. with what I'm trying to manage. Yeah. And, and I, I find that <clears throat> I guess it, it's just, I can stay technically sound when, when I focus on myself. Um, and, and so I, I really just, you know, I, I feel comfortable out on the trail alone. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so it's, and you know the route, you can run it in your head. I do. So. And and then there's also sort of that, that beauty and it, it's not a knock on anything else. Cause I mean, pacers allowed. And like, I think there's a psychological benefit to it. And yeah. some people may say, I'm, I'm going to miss out on that. And like the, the push, like, but I, I, I like the aesthetic of the semi-autonomous route. It's kind of like alpinists that are climbing without oxygen or fixed ropes. Yeah. You know, and it's something I've been drawn to. It's, it's a like, clean style. Yeah. It's yeah. how you do it matters to me. And, it, and again, it's, it's not like pitting one against the other, but for me, that's meaningful. Yeah. So I think it's something that, uh, that I, I want to just test and see if I can do that. Yeah. I mean, there's a great history too at the race and even recent history of champions running without pacers or 
dropping their pacers, dropping them <laughs> very hard. Yeah, with jam. I mean, Je- Jeff Rose dropped uh, um, dropped Dave Mackey. Dave Mackey. Yeah, yeah, legend of the game. Yeah. I think Dave Mackey got a ride up to Roby Point. And yeah, and then jumped in. back in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, Jim and Tim Olson. I mm-hmm. think Rob Carr didn't run with pacers either. I yeah. think Ryan Sands ran most of it without a pacer too. So. I mean, it's definitely a, a course that you don't necessarily need one, but I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's just a, an interesting psychological dynamic and, and interesting choice for you to make as somebody who is clearly a contender to win the race, to go out of your way, to set that as your standard that I'm not going to take this help. And not that you necessarily think of it as a, as an advantage, but you're just thinking about how you can give yourself the best opportunity to do it. And that how you do it matters. And, uh, yeah, just like having that forethought is, I think, uh, is interesting. And I don't know, you know, thinking about hard rock myself, there's a, there's a big attractiveness to doing it completely sure. solo, but there the navigation is actually an issue. So, you know, and then when it becomes maybe a safety component, safe, exactly, then, then I think it is very wise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cool. So we'll start winding down now, but I wanted to also talk to you about the heat stuff. Obviously you can't go through a conversation about Western States without talking about heat. And, uh, you were telling me about what seems like a fairly novel approach to your heat training that you've taken. So I wondered if you wanted to share that with the audience. Sure. So Roxy from Goo, she's helped design my program. This is Roxanne Vogel, who is one of the most badass women (laughs) in the world. Everest summiteer, et cetera. Go yeah, ahead. She she is no stranger to endurance yeah. efforts. Um, she she has taken um, me under her wing in terms of kind of nutritional planning and then also that my heat protocol. And we experimented with this before Havelina last year. And uh, because we don't have access to a sauna, uh, we've kind of done the, a poor man's uh, protocol where do hot bath immersions and it's all been designed over trying to just, you know, elevate that core temperature. And so often it can be, I'll go out for a hard run or a workout. And sometimes it's an easy run, but it's kind of depending on what the day asks for, but go out for a run often with layers or in the heat of the day, and then come home and immediately soak, you know, in the, in our tub up to my neck for anywhere between, you know, builds up 20 to 40 minutes and just kind of increasing that, that ability of your body to sweat. So it's kind of like, I guess it's analogous to the car with AC. Like if you're on a hot, like you're driving on a hot day and your AC isn't working, you're gonna overheat. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, the more you can sweat, the more you get that AC running, the quicker you can dissipate the the heat and mm-hmm. hopefully keep your engine cool. So so yeah, we've been doing that a lot. Um, and um, and I mean, it worked for Javelina where it wasn't exceptionally hot, but I think it peaked out at eighty eight or eighty nine degrees in the desert there during the race. Mm-hmm. And and I felt more adapted than I have in the past to heat. But um, there's some. So I mean, it it definitely was effective. But I've also realized that heat tolerance partially is a a perceived tolerance where you have to kind of get your central governor in play and and realize that you you can handle this because your brain's probably going to shut down before your body does um, and it's going to control the body so just that exposure and practice has helped me manage my perception of the heat that i'm in also Mm -hmm. which i think is huge so 
It always comes back to the mind, right? Yeah, it's crazy, <laughs> right? But yeah, it is interesting. I never heard of anybody doing their heat training in water. You know, mm -hmm. everybody who's getting ready for Western States talks about getting in the sauna three, mm -hmm. four days a week. But doing it, I bet a, it'd be nice to have a home sauna. It is, it <laughs> is. <laughs> I'll put you in touch. Oh, yeah. With it, yeah. <laughs> um, well, Tim, dude, this has been really fun to chat about the race, and obviously, there's a million other things that we could talk about. Um, but you know, I, I feel like this is a good spot to sort of start wrapping things up, and we can talk more about other things on a future episode. And I wanted to sort of close by giving you an opportunity to talk about something that you sort of referenced earlier and that you have a side hustle that's also a full-time job. And we've talked about it a couple of times over the last year uh, when we've been able to see each other and connect uh, and you're working on something that's pretty cool. And I wondered what you wanted to share on that front. Yeah, I've, I've had this um, kind of passion project for years now um, that stemmed from back after my first UTMB in 2017, uh, the, uh, the CEO of Mammoth Mountain, he's a friend of mine, and, and he's like, why don't we have that here? And I was like, you tell me, why don't we have that here? And uh, and so we started pitching around ideas of like, hey, we need to have some ultra races and trail races in the Eastern Sierra. And um, and so it was an idea that you know I, I knew was was something that like would be successful, but being a full-time athlete and a full-time physical therapist, it's, it's hard to manage that. Um, and then during the pandemic, when I had a very brief six week period where we got somewhat shut down, um, in the PT clinic, like I had that little window of like, oh, let's do a side hustle. And like, I, I poured myself into, into developing, you know, a series of different races. And, um, and so, but then as we opened back up, like it's, that was what I said earlier, like I'm juggling three different, like full-time jobs and I was just feeling burnt out Same, like, and, and like, it's like, this is not sustainable. <laughs> Everything is suffering. Like something has to give. <clears throat> so I'm in the process of working the, uh, the balancing act of, of, yeah. of my three kind of, uh, you know, I guess goal professions, but, um, it's, it's something that we're working on. Uh, it's called mammoth trail fest and it's going to be a series of different distances, um, here in mammoth lakes. And it's going to be super, super exciting to be able to share with people. Cause I regularly get questions like, when are we going to have races in mammoth? And, uh, and so being able to finally offer and bring people up to the Eastern Sierra and share some of these trails with them is going to be incredible. And then it has, you know, it's kind of pairing all the things I love about my international racing, where it's a big festival feel, starting downtown by the church, wrapping up through this amazing single track, high alpine areas, finishing in the village where people can cheer and experience it. Like, I think it's going to be, you know, a more European style event that we don't really have in the States. We have some amazing things like Broken Arrow does a great yeah. job. Mm -hmm. Like, but a lot of our, our great races are pigeonholed into like 300 person fields yeah. or really small, um, or they're pretty far out. Or, so I think this is a unique opportunity to really blend a lot of the things that I have loved and then sharing that with people. And, and I talk with Lindsay about how I'd like to be in the sport somehow forever, Yeah. but my body's going to fail me at some point. So I can't be an elite athlete. Yeah. So I think, uh, being able to share kind of what I've gained from the sport with others through events like this, through the Sierra is something that really excites me. So it's something that we're working on. And, um, COVID obviously was a really hard time to try and launch it. And yeah. then there've been a number of other issues just working uh, with different entities, but, uh, we're, we're looking to do a small scale launch this fall. I'll have more information coming out in July. Um, but, uh, each year it's just going to build on itself and, and become, I think just like the preeminent, like, you know, haven for, for ultra and trail racing. <laughs> 
racing. But for me also, it's important that it's not all ultras. I yeah. love short distance racing, like sky racing type stuff, like where everyone doesn't need to run 30 miles. Dude, like, you're speaking uh, my language. 100 miles, yeah. no one should run 100 miles. Yeah. <laughs> Trail running and ultra running shouldn't be the same thing. Yeah. Like they shouldn't be synonymous. People yeah. should be able to go run trails without having to do a 50K. I yeah. totally, totally agree. Well, dude, I mean, I, I can't wait to see what you put together. This place is absolutely spectacular. It's, it's I feel so privileged to spend several weeks here this uh, this summer training myself. I appreciate your uh, willingness to, to share your roots with me, to have Harmony and I over for dinner, to sit down and do a podcast. And now I wish you nothing but the best in these last two weeks of tapering. You've done what it takes. You, you've done what you need to. The hay is in the barn. It's time and to burn it down. It's time to burn it down, bro. So uh, thanks so much for sitting down with us and can't wait to follow the race. Thanks, man. Good to have you here. Okay, that's it. What did you guys think? I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much to Tim. If you did enjoy the show, go give Tim a shout of good luck over on his Instagram. If you don't follow him already, I have a link to his profile over in the show notes. Go click through, give him a follow, give him a digital pat on the back as he gets ready for one of the biggest races in his career. I also link to the Mammoth Trail Fest website. This is Tim's new entrepreneurial venture. Go check out what he is putting together in his local community. It really does look amazing. And as always, we work really hard to make this show something that brings you value. So if you do appreciate what we do, there are a few ways that you can support us. Number one, as I sometimes ask, you can subscribe to our app. That is honestly the only way that this will be a viable use of my time long term. And I so appreciate those who have gone out of their way to join our community. Number two, you could leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. This seriously only takes a minute, if that. And it really does help the show. So if you appreciate what we do, please go leave us a rating and review. Finally, number three, you can always share this or any other episode with your friends or training partners on social media. I love hearing from you guys, especially when you enjoy the show and when you tell me the takeaways that you've had. So please do continue to share those things on social media. It really does help the show and it does make me feel great as well. If those things are too much to ask, I hope you know that I still appreciate your time and attention and I hope to continue earning that precious and finite resource from you every week. And speaking of which, we will see you all next week where we will be inundating your podcast feed with great conversations from our pre-race interview show from Olympic Valley. I hope you all will tune in or if you're at Western States, come see us live. We will be posted up right by the start line and we will have snacks and refreshments for the audience. I will share more information about this interview show next week, but I hope you guys will be there either in person or tune in digitally. That's it for now. Love you guys so much. Bye-bye.